Welcome to Doctrine and Devotion. It's a podcast that explores Christian faith and practice from a Reformed Baptist perspective. My name is Joe Thorne. I'm the lead pastor of Redeemer Fellowship in St. Charles, Illinois. And I'm Jamie Fowler, executive pastor at Redeemer Fellowship. Man, mm. we've had some good weather. Great weather. It's been hot out. Oh, it's been nice. I've been sitting out on the back porch. I'm smoking my cigars. Loving it. Jen made me an old-fashioned with a little sprig of rosemary in there last night. Sitting on the back porch. Nice little breeze coming through. Nice. Feet kicked up. Man, I'm loving uh, everything you're talking about right now. What was I watching? I'm watching The Lincoln Lawyer. It's a new series on Amazon based on the book. That book was awesome. Yeah, you didn't read those books. Yeah, I did. Did you really? Yeah. I did. Yeah? Yeah. What's the the main character's name? How many years ago? I can tell you the main character of every book I've read. Okay, well done. That you can't means you haven't read it. I have read it. Okay. I have read it. Mm-hmm. Okay. How dare you, sir? I just think you're, uh, I think you're, uh, oh yeah? Yeah. What's it about? What are the books about? Why do they call him the Lincoln lawyer? Because he gets driven around in the back, like he's in the back of the Lincoln. He's got a driver that takes him from Why spot is he always in Lincoln? Because he's going from spot to spot. He's busy. He he's don't busy. Like, he don't like the office. That's right. That's right. And he, so he works in the back there. You're right. And what kind of a car is it? Lincoln. No, wrong. <laughs> it's a Ford Festiva. Did, didn't they also have a movie with uh, McConaughey? Yeah. Yeah, see? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and Edward Norton. Was he in that? I think so. Uh, okay. All right. No. All right. <laughs> gonna, I didn't watch it, so oh, I, I wouldn't I'm know. I'm pretty sure Edward Norton was. Right. Lincoln. Lincoln. Yeah. Lawyer. All right. Lincoln Lawyer. Yeah. I still remember that last scene. The last scene. It was awesome. You're thinking of a different movie. Am I really? Yeah. Oh, never mind. Then. I'm pretty sure. All right. So uh, no, because he was walking out. He's like, "We were such a good team. I knew what you were trying to get out of me." Really? Is that not Edward Norton? No, he's not in that. Oh, who is it? Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. Who is it? I don't know. I, I didn't see the movie, but ain't no Ed Norton in here. Wait, am I not? Yeah, Lincoln Lawyer, right here. No, I don't see any Ed Norton. All right. Well, who's the I other guy? See, I, I see. Uh, I see Matthew McConaughey, Ryan Philippe. William Macy, Brian Cranston, Michael Pena. Man, all right, my yeah. bad. Yeah, see, you don't—you didn't even see the movie. I did see the movie. Mm-hmm. Anyways, Shay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, it was a good night. Good night last night. I'm—we're uh, going to have an elders meeting here in a bit, mm-hmm. and before that, we're going to eat some gizzards. That's right. That's right. It's going to be good. So um, we got uh, we got an interview today. Another interview this time with uh, Tommy Hickles. Uh, Tommy Hickles is uh, is a pastor and a theologian and a teacher, a professor. Uh, his real name is Tom Hicks, but he does prefer Tommy Hickles. So if you interact oh. with him online, be sure to call him uh, Hickles, um, Hickley. Whatever you like. He likes that sort of a thing. Okay, okay. Uh, he is the senior pastor at First Baptist Church of Clinton, Louisiana. He is an adjunct professor of systematic theology at IRBS Theological Seminary. Uh, homeboy got his MDiv and his PhD degree at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. <laughs> Me too. Mm-hmm. Well, not the PhD part, but uh, you know. he is a husband and father, uh, and of course, he is a Reformed Baptist who does subscribe to the Second London Confession. Um, he has... Uh, he has a lot of thoughts on stuff, good stuff. He's a smart guy. He yep. writes great articles. Um, you know, he's he's really been uh, touching on theonomy quite a bit uh, in you know over the past. Well, I don't know how long, but I've noticed it over this past year. It talks about it quite a bit. Mm. And so I thought, well, why don't we why don't we bring him on and uh, and ask him to talk about theonomy? Like, what's 
you know, what's the problem with theonomy? Uh, we obviously we're not we, we're not fans of theonomy. We have our theological problems with it. But we wanted to bring somebody on to kind of talk through what the fundamental issues are that he has and uh, why it would be good to um, uh, to be wary of something that is growing in popularity. Yeah. So uh, yeah, man, let's do it. Check it out. Today I'm sitting down with uh, Pastor Tom Hicks. If you are unfamiliar with Tom Hicks, he is the senior pastor of First Baptist Church of Clinton, Louisiana, and an adjunct professor of systematic theology at IRBS Theological Seminary. Am I right? That's right. So far, so good. You got your MDiv and your PhD from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you are a husband and a father. You are a Reformed Baptist, meaning you actually do subscribe to the Second London Confession. You are real, a real Reformed Baptist, particular Baptist. Thanks for coming on, man. It's really we've been wanting to get you on for a while, and uh, we love you. We love your ministry, your work. Thanks for making time. Oh, it's a pleasure, brother. We love y'all too. Now, in the past, I, I've I've seen you very active on social media, on Twitter and whatnot. But then, like yesterday or something, I went on your Twitter feed. Is it just is it on my end, or did your are your tweets gone? What happened? Yeah, I just I just uh, I delete about weekly, mainly because uh, I'm not interested in the long. Uh, yeah. running history of everything and a permanent catalog. I just, I just want to engage from time to time. That's good. And That's smart. Frankly, kind of backed away from Twitter from what I was doing probably a couple of years ago. Okay. It's, I've just not found it as help, help, helpful. <laughs> so Yeah, no, for sure. I get it. I, I actually don't enjoy Twitter. Um, I, I, I sort of stay out of, out of a sense of necessity, not even morbid curiosity. Cause I, I'm not, I'm not, I too many hot takes that are tepid and, unhelpful and that's right just a lot anyway um but so you are still active on social media that's good i would encourage people to follow tom um i, I thought before we get into the, the the real reason that i called was uh maybe you could just tell us you know something that god is doing in your life right now or something that he is teaching you that you could share with us something that seems to be on the on the forefront of your mind and your heart right now yeah um i've been thinking a lot about uh, really some issues probably I hadn't thought as as deeply about uh, through seminary. And um, really it's related to the doctrine of God. I mean, I was mm -hmm. taught a certain way uh, in seminary that I have learned wasn't the historic position. I mean, in a way, the doctrine of God seemed easy to me in seminary. It seemed like all the I's were dotted and T's were crossed. It was a neat little package. And I wondered, I, I mean, I learned the, the doctrine that God is incomprehensible. But um, it, he seemed quite comprehensible in many ways mm -hmm. to me. Uh, but historically, um, he is not comprehensible. And what, what the historic uh, theologians of the church did was they, they certainly expressed and articulated the doctrine of God. But the deeper you went, uh, though there weren't contradictions in the way they continued to express God, the more it, you're forced to see that your mind cannot wrap itself around him, even though you never reach a point at which it's irra irrational to contemplate him, which then leads to a sense, an experience of utter dependency mm. and need and the sufficiency of God and all of his greatness. And so I have been really reflecting a lot on God, his nature, his essence, and seeing how also historically that led to um, piety. Yes. I mean, that, that, in fact, one of the old Puritan devotional manuals, The Practice of Piety by Lewis Bailey, right. the whole first chapter is on 
the classical theism and expresses it How in pretty complex dare terminology. You? How dare yeah. you? Class that's a, first of all, that's a modern thing. Okay. Classical theism. That never existed before. It's like it's like it's like twenty it's like twenty years old. Okay. That's it's that modern. And you sound like yeah. one of those weirdos who says, you you can't know what God is, uh, you know, comprehensive. Well, it's just you know, I don't know. Maybe I'm called the wrong guy. I feel like you're uh you're maybe you're you're, you're too old school for the the, the modern listener. <laughs> maybe so. No, man, I totally agree. I totally agree. It's really interesting. I'm actually gonna I'm talking to Richard Barcelos in an interview as well. We're going to be talking about Thomas Aquinas and some of that stuff because, you know, crazy be crazy out there on the, on the, interwe- on the interwebs. And, uh, and some people are asking legitimate questions and some people are processing, but there's also sure. just a lot of crazy too. And I, I, I'm with you. I, not only is that something that God has, you know, continued to impress upon me, uh, you know, the, the, the theology proper, classical theism, uh, the the knowability and unknowability of God, you know everything from you know impassibility to aseity, all, all that stuff, really really important. And by the way, guys, if you don't know, the Reformed Baptists are the ones that have really led the charge in the last ten years writing about this stuff, while other denominations who historically were more on the ball are doing other things. So praise God for the Reformed Baptists that are getting it done. But uh, you know, a couple, I would say even not that long ago, like I saw more confusion over like ecclesiology and things like that or aspects of soteriology. But right. now, boy, this is the big thing that people are, 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 are I agree. jumping into. And sometimes they need to wade in a little more carefully, to, you know? Right. So yeah, and that's good stuff, man. I appreciate it. Well, one of the things that I really appreciate about you, Tom, is that you are, and this, I'm, I'm playing with words here, so I don't, don't come at me guys, but you're a man of conviction and conscience. And what I mean by that in a very subjective way is that you're not just a man of conviction where you're going to attempt to get things right in your mind and in your articulation, but you're also a man of conscience, meaning that you want to do things well, you want to do things right. You want to handle yourself right. And I've seen you do that. I've watched from a distance. I've watched you do that through your interactions and ministry engagements that, uh, that you really, you are a man that I respect who operates and lives his life according to biblical principles uh, by the grace of God to the best of your ability, and I, I appreciate that about you. You're not you're not one of those guys. You're not an angry theologian. You're not a you're not a, a, a you're not an arrogant man. You're a you're a very knowledgeable, very brilliant man, but you're humble. Really appreciate that you are a man of uh, conviction and conscience. So I praise God for you, brother. Well, that's encouraging. Thank you for those kind words. So, all right. One of the things that uh, that I don't want to I don't want to put words in your mouth. So, I'm just going to say some. I get the impression that there are some things that annoy you, and one of the things that <laughs> seems to annoy you, from my outside perspective, is something called theonomy. Does, does yeah. theonomy annoy you, brother? <laughs> yeah, it's it's. Uh, it, I, it, it does. I think that would be fair to say that it, it annoys you. So, okay, so you've, you've actually, you've talked a lot about it. You've written articles, you've, you've taught. You, can you, so it, 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 it's also along with um, what we were just talking about, theology proper and whatnot. Theonomy is very active on social media, the doctrine of theonomy. So maybe a, a lot of our listeners are probably seeing some of that and seeing people debate. Maybe they've seen you go back and forth with some guys. Maybe you could just walk us into what theonomy is. In, uh, mm-hmm. in in simple terms and how it kind of works itself out. Yeah, well, the, the, the word theonomy probably first started being used uh, in the latter half of the 20th century. Um, it was 
founded by R.J. Rushdoony and continued by his son-in-law, Gary North, and uh, probably the, the ablest defender of theonomy has been Greg Bonson. Um, so those are some of the historical figures picked up today and modified. They're not, they're not, these newer guys aren't using, you know, they're not lockstep with the old version of it, but they're definitely leaning on it heavily. And these would be people like Jeff Durbin, Joe Booth, you know, to some degree, Doug Wilson is using these categories. Um, but theonomy basically is this. It teaches that all civil governments, all civil governments are required to enforce old covenant judicial law in its in its essence, uh, together with all the penalties of old covenant judicial law. Um, and some would take exception to that. I mean, there's different. There are different right. expressions of it. But this is a general, generally accurate definition. But they would then they would say that civil governments are not allowed to enforce any law that's not prescribed by old covenant judicial code. And then usually with theonomy, it doesn't have to be, but almost almost always um, there's a post-millennialism mm-hmm. that goes with it that, that says that God will realize uh, this theonomic reign in a future millennial golden age by Christ's grace through the, through the faithfulness of his church. Right. So as we are faithful to, to trust the Lord, keep his commandments, repent of our sins, live godly lives, and fight for these things, that God in us, by grace, will construct this uh, this golden age, which some would say we're already in. It's <laughs> like a sanctification process. They would say it. Some would say, well, it's already begun, but yeah. we're, we're going to be sanctified into this this future. Right, uh, right. Very sanctified state as a society. And so that's that's basically okay. theonomy. Well, before, I'm just curious, in your opinion, before we get into what might be wrong with this, uh, you, you, you mentioned, um, you started talking about post-millennialism. And do you think post-millennialism tends to lead into theonomy? Or do you think theonomy has led people into post-millennialism? Or does it does It, make it doesn't difference? have to. I mean, today it seems they, 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 they seem to run together. But historically, you had post-millennialists who in no way were theonomists. Right, right. You actually had, weirdly, I mean, <laughs> there were pre-millennial, pre-millennialists historically who had the flavor more of post-millennialism mm. to us because there was a state they believed in a spiritual return of christ and that uh, the church uh, the mission would be more and more accomplished more and more christians and, and then christ would uh, visibly finally consummate his kingdom um, a- after that millennium so so uh, no i mean jonathan edwards was a post-millennialist yeah yeah and, not, not a theonomist uh, not a theonomist, and so absolutely, you, you do not have to become a, a theonomist to be a postmillennialist. That's for sure. And here's the message for everybody today: you don't have to be a theonomist. Okay, everybody, relax. <laughs> that's so, right. all right. So, like, I think a lot of people, like, they're going to hear what you just said. They're going to say, "Okay, so theonomy is, uh, to some degree, the implementation of Old Testament judicial law into society. Like every society, every culture should be." Um, ruled through Old Testament judicial law, biblical law. I think a lot of people hear that and they go, right on. Yeah, why not? Like, right. I, uh, that sounds good to me. It'd be better than let's kill our babies in the womb. Like, what, what's your problem, dude? Why are you so hung up on that? Why do you not like God's law? Like, why do you, why do you love the world so much? Like, what's, what is wrong? What is the problem with, uh, with this idea that all cultures should be implementing Old Covenant 
Judaic law, judicial law, I'm sorry, um, what's the problem with that that maybe people don't see initially? Yeah, well, first, we should, you know, we shouldn't be killing babies <laughs> in our mother's womb. You know, I right. mean, that, that, so that has nothing to do with theonomy. Yes. This is theonomy's central error is that it, is it doesn't recognize the Bible's own categories for mm. law mm. Uh, and that and that not all of Israel's old covenant judicial code is is essentially um, it, in all of its aspects moral. Right. Right. So there's always always some kind of moral under underpinning of every law of God. Sure. Even if it's just the first commandment, you shall have no other God before me. Right. You know, but uh, it it fails to distinguish between moral and natural law, which is rooted in God's own essence, his own character, yeah. his own holiness, which cannot change, on the one hand, with positive law, or, or laws that God posits by divine fiat for a reason. And, and then so connected with that error is a failure to see that Israel, the nation of Israel, was, uh, was a typological kingdom mm. that was... Uh, a type, a, uh, a shadow of the redemptive work of Jesus and of the and of the redemptive kingdom of Christ, but it is not itself the redemptive kingdom of Christ. And so you're going to get very confused if you're trying to look at Israel and see that that should just be transposed, or, or all the laws given to Israel should just be dropped down upon a nation today. It denies Israel's unique and holy status as a typological kingdom. Admin, or a typological administration of the kingdom of Christ, and so, uh, so the fundamental error is one of law. So that certainly, there is tr- transcendent moral law that's right. revealed in nature, rooted in God's character, and some one of that is do not murder. Of course, yes. So the Ten Commandments summarize yes this moral and natural law of God, and so society certainly is not free to murder or break any of the Ten Commandments. Um, so, so, so the part of the problem you're saying, like centrally, it's it, it's it's a law issue and um, understanding the law. And you're you're saying that there are laws uh, that are so it, intrinsically tied to the the character and the nature of God that they're always in effect. They never change. They're summarized in the Ten Commandments. Um, those other laws serve various purposes in the life of Israel as a typological kingdom or community. Uh, and so, to try to bring those into the new covenant creates potential problems so are would you then say that those 10 commandments should be implemented in in judicial law in every country and culture or can you can theonomists just do that like what how does that break down yeah yeah so that's that's an excellent question um well first of all say all all men everywhere are under natural law and god is going to enforce it Right. So God is the enforcer of mm-hmm. all his moral law, even if he doesn't bring what would appear to be an, a temporal consequence. So he does bring temporal consequences, but even if he doesn't bring it until judgment day. Mm-hmm. So all men are accountable to the one true God for their sins. But is it the civil government's job to enforce every law and to bring a penalty for every every breach of the Ten Commandments? Certainly not. Yeah. You know? Uh, that that can't be the case. In fact, I think a good guide for uh, what the role of the civil government would be would be to see where God brought judgments upon nations uh, in the Old Testament. So non-Israelite nations, mm-hmm. what really brought Him to destroy them? Right. And 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 so governments 
need to be in line on those matters. Uh, and these would be things like, actually, it's an excessive pride. It's very, it's an excessive pride that then leads to uh, the strong harming the weak. So abortion is a great example yeah. of that. So there's oppression, uh, there's uh, aggressive warfare against nations that then leads to oppression, this kind of a thing. Um, and, and if you just even look up the word oppression in the scriptures, you'll find it everywhere. Oppress, oppressed, oppressed, mm-hmm. oppression, oppressing, uh, which uh, is, uh, I mean, that, that abortion is a great example of, of that. Harming the weak, uh, those who are not guilty. And so murder, theft, uh, uh, any proud abuse of power. Um, that's, this is why God has brought his judgments upon the Gentile nations. It's pretty consistent, too. Mm. If, if you look at it, and actually not for idolatry, weirdly enough. Hmm. Do, there do might you... be an instance here or there. I'm not sure that's perfectly consistent to say, to say, but if you look in, it's Israel mainly that was brought to judgment for idolatry. Do you believe that the—I um, yeah, I, I see that as well. I, I, I totally see that. Do you think that the mission of the church, like the Missio Ecclesia— has relevance in this conversation? Like, what is the mission of the church? Does that factor into dis- to discussion and debate uh, among uh, in this issue of theonomy? Yeah, I think it's actually central to the whole question. You know, what is what is the church's mission, and is it to to transform a culture or a society? And you know, it's it, it is. It's not. I mean, Matthew 28 speaks of the mission. There's debates about what that means, but it seems pretty clear to me that our job is to go and to make disciples from or out of all nations. Mm-hmm. So individual disciples out of every tribe and tongue, uh, that the church would baptize them and teach them in the name of the Father, the Son, and yeah. the Spirit, and teach them all that Christ has commanded uh, within the context of the church. That's our mission, is to preach the gospel for the conversion of sinners, for the building up of churches, the sanctification of Christ's people. And, uh, you know, the church is almost like an ark in the middle of a stormy sea. I mean, we're not going to pacify the nations by our righteousness. We're not going to bring in the kingdom through our works, which is another, is a great concern of mine, is that theonomy, though I think they would probably... I think they would deny, I believe almost most of them would deny it formally, but the way it comes off is that through the church's faithful works of obedience, God graciously works with them and in them to, uh, to, to bring about his kingdom, mm-hmm. which is suspiciously similar to a covenant of works to do this and live. Yeah. We're going to work to bring in a temporal paradise of a kind or of a uh, you know, uh, something more conformed socially to the kingdom that we'll see in heaven, the it's, New Jerusalem. It's also a that's re- not the church mission. Yeah, it's also a redefinition of what the kingdom is when you start to that's lay it correct. out that way. That's, it's a different kingdom. That's right. Um, yeah, it's so not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness. Yes, and holiness. Yeah. So, why do you think it's so appealing? It really it seems appealing to people. Why do you think people gravitate? On a, on a personal level, like, you know, and, and I don't, and I don't mean like it's merely emotional, but like as human beings, right. We, the way we think and how we feel and what we experience, what do you think is so appealing about this to, um, what seems to me to be a, 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 a growing number of people? You know, um, I really think that if 
it, it, what's appealing about it is that something is wrong with, with our, with our society. Yeah. Something is badly wrong. Mm. And this sense that I can do something about it. Yeah. That, that what's really wrong is me, which that is part of what's wrong with it. But then, but then on top of that, that if I'm, if, if what's wrong is what the church is not doing correctly, which I'm not saying the church is doing everything correctly, but then if we fix what we're doing, we can fix our problem. Mm. And so I think that's what's appealing, which is actually very, very proud. Not that we shouldn't be doing what is right. right. We should be. But there. But if you shift the, the locus of the problem to us, and that if we change what we're doing, then the problem will be fixed, that's a highly appealing thing because then there's a solution to it in us instead of that the, that the answer is really in the Lord. And then we're yeah. to keep his commandments and trust him and, and walk in his way, no matter what the outcome. So I, I think, I think the appeal is, is to the sinful nature, frankly. And I, I mean, I, I don't mean to give unnecessary offense by saying that, but I really do. I think it's appealing because we like to think we can rescue things ourselves. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I might balance it by saying, um, you know, I, I think the, like the desire to see righteousness reign is a good desire, right? And I know that they want to see yeah. that. Uh, they want to see God glorified. And so like, that's a, yeah. that's a good motive. I think there's confusion over how these things work themselves out. But I know that in, it's like, I know guys that are, the honest are good guys, lovely men that love the Lord, all of that. Um, and the ones that I know aren't, you know, uh, rabid, right? <laughs> They're like reasonable <laughs> dudes. Um, I got one in my church, wonderful man, love him. One of the godliest yeah. men in our church. Yeah. No division, no rancor, nothing. Uh, he loves God. the church. He, he, yeah. So, um, anyways, so I, I know that, that a lot of it, you know, can come from like the right heart, right? Uh, and then, of course, how we then implement that and work it out is a mixed bag. I know we're short on time. I want to ask you a couple of, of maybe quick questions here. Um, who should people read to to get a grasp on theonomy? So, like, if you're going to say, "Hey, here's a primary source for an advocate." for theonomy who should they read I, I recommend people who can do that sort of a thing yep. read somebody who's pro theonomic and then a good critique can you give me a couple of uh suggestions yeah um well the, there's a bunch of books out there on theonomy that are old but the best advocate for theonomy if you want to read the very best articulation of theonomy that avoids the pitfalls of of, of some versions of it is from anything by greg bonson so he has a big a, a, a fat book titled Theonomy and Christian Ethics. That's his magnum opus on theonomy. But he has a shorter book that's really just a summary of the ideas in that larger one titled By This Standard, which I usually recommend people read. And that's also by Greg, Greg Bonson. So that would be on the pro-theonomy side. Um, Contra-theonomy, um, there's, there's an older work titled Theonomy, a Reformed Critique that got a bunch of different essays in it edited by William Barker and, and Robert Godfrey which is which is good very very good but if you want to kind of get down to the core uh, issue of the threefold division of a law which is mm. what what they're they're denying they're collapsing all law into one an excellent book is from the finger of God by yeah. Philip Ross and so I would I would commend that to distinguish uh, the categories of moral law versus positive law and I will just throw in one more that's yeah. got a good positive vision for uh, political theology, because that's what really people are after. Um, and he, he doesn't directly critique theonomy, but there's a tacit critique mm. of, of theonomy 
um, but also certain kind certain kinds of Kuyperianism, which is David Van Drunen's politics after Christendom, which I would commend. He's a Presbyterian. I'm not, but I love him anyway. So, yeah. Great. Yeah. I mean, listen, we <laughs> uh, Reformed Baptists love Presbyterians. Um, we do. We, well, we love we the really best do. ones, anyways. That's right. <laughs> and hopefully, they love the best of us. Now, I'll just just I'll just say, um, um, I, I have not read uh, Van Drunen. I have read from the finger of God, and you know, I've been Reformed Baptist since like '95. And so I read a lot of the classic stuff, man. When that book came out, it's such, it, it's so good. It's, I, I read, like I read the classics. I've been reading, you know, reformers, Puritans and all these guys, but it is, it does such a good job of, of, I think settling this, this critique that is oftentimes saying like, oh, that's an arbitrary, you're just arbitrarily throwing into these divisions of the law. That, I just, I thought it was so helpful. It's big. So it's hard for a lot of people to get through, but it's so worth it. Um, these are great recommendations. I'm really, I'm really excited. I'm going to check out uh, Avenger and I've been meaning to, uh, mm-hmm. to read that. Listen, um, if people want to interact with you, Tom, online, uh, maybe they want to throw you a question or, or harass you. Maybe they want to say that, um, that you don't, you don't love God's law or something like that. Uh, how can they interact with you? What's the best way for them to, I'm not going to give them your phone number, but uh, uh, not for, not without a, a hefty fee. How can they interact yeah. with you on social media? I mean, they could, they could just uh, interact direct, interact directly with me on social media. I'm at, at on Twitter uh, at uh, Tom Hicks. Uh, uh, what is my Twitter handle? I don't even know what it is. But you'll find me. You can find yeah. Tom Hicks I'll, 1689. Tom Hicks 1689. Yeah, Tom Hicks 1689. And I'll link to all that in the in the show notes. So you're you're sure. you're welcoming people if they have questions and they want to engage, they can hit you up oh, on the Twitter. 100. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. All right. Any anything coming up? Any you got any books coming out or any articles we can look forward to coming up? Uh, I I don't I don't think so. I'm actually I'm working and preparing different courses. Oh, I am man. an adjunct professor for IRBS. I'm also an, a professor for Covenant Baptist Theological nice. Seminary. Cool. And uh, I'm, you know, also teaching some courses overseas, and so I'm, I'm we're really mostly working on preparing courses to teach. That's so. great. That's great. Well, the, the, those, those are great seminaries. Um, you guys should check those out. We're going to link to all this in the show notes, guys. So check it out um, after Jimmy and I come back on to wrap things up. Tom, thank you so much for spending time with me. Love you. Appreciate you, man. And I uh, look forward to talking again. A blessing, brother. God bless. Love you too. I like that guy. Yeah, and I I, I figured out I was wrong. I'm thinking of the Richard Gere movie. Yeah, that's what I figured. Yeah, Primal Fear. Primal Fear. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yeah. My bad. My so, bad. I know my movies, bad. bro. My bad. But I've read Lincoln yeah. Lawyer. Yeah. Oh yeah. Based on what you just showed me, I don't believe you. Anyway, think you read Lincoln? Anyways, you probably read a book on how to build Lincoln logs into a, <laughs> a, a, a for a Lego playset or something. Anyways, but that was a good. That was a good interview. Yeah, man, he's good. He's solid. And uh, we'd like to have him on. Hey, listen, guys, we want to do more interviews, so let us know who you would like us to talk with on social media. Jimmy, how do they let us know who we who they would like us to talk to? Well, on Instagram and Twitter, at Doc and Devo, or on Facebook, slash Doctrine and Devotion. You can also head to the website, DoctrineAndDevotion.com. There you can contact us. You can sign up for the email blast or hit the store, JoeFoStore.com, and grab some gear. We got that first part every Monday and Thursday. We got blog posts and video content over at the website. And we've got that all-access exclusive content. we got Banter Truth on Tuesdays, Weekday Wisdom, Monday through Friday. Head on over to DoctrineAndDevotion.com slash all-access to sign up today. Later. Later.